Okay, what's up everyone? It is February 9th, 2018. This is Daily Bitcoin Recap with Kyle Torpy. And I have two key stories I want to get to today. Uh, first, there is a story in the Bangkok Post about some cyber criminal that was caught with uh, $820 million worth of Bitcoin was the estimate. So it's kind of similar to the top story from yesterday with the guy with the fake ID. So I'll talk about that a bit. And there was also a blog post from the New York Federal Reserve um, talking about Bitcoin and how whether or not it's a useful cryptocurrency or whether it's a currency at all. Uh, and then some other stories too. I had a piece in Bitcoin Market Journal I might go into a little bit. But those, those two first stories, I think, are the main thing I want to talk about. And uh, I, did, I did do a little pre-show today. So the stream's been going for like 30 minutes before I started the show. And I'll probably cut that out once I put it on YouTube and SoundCloud, but just something I'm trying out for now. All right, let's go on this first story. Police nab Russian cyber gangster. Uh, this is related to a story from yesterday with the shutdown of the uh, infraud uh, international, you know, cyber criminal gang. Uh, I guess they, they operated a website where um, they could help people, you know, defraud others. They could sell, buy and sell uh, people's information, uh, things like that. So just like a, you know, dark, dark web website. I think they have some more information here at the bottom. It says, in fraud operated automated vending sites to make it easy for someone to buy credit, buy card and identity data from them. It had over... It had nearly 11,000 approved members registered to buy and sell data with them in early 2017 and maintained a rating and feedback system for members. So it seems like kind of like a silk road for uh, uh, people's data, I guess. The FBI will call a press conference in, in the U.S. about Tuesday's operation. The gang allegedly sells narcotic drugs, illegal weapons, stolen credit card pins, protected wild animals, and illegally obtained government documents. Hmm. So it's, uh, this might be like a, you know, traditional criminal organization that also uses the dark web. But obviously the, the key headline here is that this guy had... Um, it says, judging by the evidence obtained during the February 2nd raid, this is according to someone in the Crime Suppression Division of the Thai police. Um, it says, according to the evidence obtained in the raid, he had more than 100,000 100, Bitcoin. Not $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, $100,000 Bitcoin. Or 100,000 Bitcoin, uh, which is equivalent to, I mean, really almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin this guy had, this criminal had. Um, so yeah, there's kind of the same point I was making yesterday, but this is obviously at a much more massive scale. The guy yesterday got caught with fake IDs um, and he had like four, four point something million worth of Bitcoin. Uh, there are certainly people out there who are storing uh, their wealth or hiding wealth. And in this case, larger amounts of wealth in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies.
Uh, so that kind of goes to the underlying value proposition here of a you know seizure resistant, censorship resistant digital asset. Uh, it doesn't say in the story whether or not they have access to the the Bitcoin. He might have had it encrypted. Um, you know, it doesn't even really indicate whether or not they were able to obtain the 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 Bitcoin. It might have just been like you know some some sort of evidence that he he owns that much or something like that. And it's not actually on the the notebook computer that they seized. Um, so yeah, this is a really crazy story. This is also uh, you know where the Alpha Bay guy was. Uh, found um, the Alpha Bay guy was, you know, balling out buying all bunch of cars and mansions and stuff. I don't know how what this guy was doing uh, for uh, in terms of balling out in Thailand. Uh, the Alpha Bay guy ended up killing himself after he was arrested by Thai police. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll learn more about this after the FBI does their press conference. I don't, I'm not sure when they're going to do it. The story came out uh, at 1.44 a.m. this morning. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, my time or Thailand time. But, uh, yeah, some crazy characters in Bitcoin. And I'm sure there's other people like him who have, you know, almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin uh, or, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, at least, that they don't want anyone to know about. I wonder if he was having, you know, trouble cashing it out into local currency. I guess he could use, like, local Bitcoins or something to, use, you know, transfer it to cash. I imagine he wouldn't want to use an exchange. But we've seen, you know, other, you know, a lot of the Darknet market guys... The guys running the sites have used exchanges and that has like been part of the cases built around them. I think the Silk Road 2 guy even uh, transferred some money from Silk Road 2 to Coinbase, cashed it out of Coinbase and bought a Tesla with it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say about this story. And hopefully we'll learn more after the FBI does their press conference. Um, so the second story I want to talk about is these Fed economists or these economists from the New York Federal Reserve say Bitcoin can't compete in a world of trust. And I sent out like a kind of a snarky tweet related to this from the Bitcoin Market Journal account uh, where I said Bitcoin economists say Federal Reserve can't compete in a world of no trust. Um, but it's, uh, I'm not going to go over their uh, entire blog post just because I haven't had a chance to go through it yet. So maybe I'll do that over the weekend or on Monday and write something up based on it. If I want to do like a full analysis, but I'm just going to base this off of this uh, Bloomberg article for now. And I think Reuters and Coindesk cover this as well, but um, this Bloomberg article caught, is the one that caught my attention. Um, so it says Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies solve the problem of making payments in an environment where trust is broken, but it's unclear whether that's a dilemma that needs to be solved. Um, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a fair point. I mean, obviously the guy I was just talking about in Thailand, he needed Bitcoin because he didn't want to trust, you know, traditional financial institutions with his money when he's a criminal. He can't 
you know, it's, it's, his money is safer in Bitcoin where you can just like store a passphrase in his head and all that value can, you know, nearly a billion dollars could be stored in a passphrase that he's keeping in his head. Um, so yeah, maybe Bitcoin doesn't make sense for the average person who, you know, follows the rule of the law. They just don't see the value proposition in Bitcoin. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean there's no value at all. Uh, continuing, says consumers trust institutions in the value of their currencies, at least in the U.S. and the rest of the developed world. So cryptocurrencies will have trouble competing with established payment methods like cash, checks, debit, credit cards, PayPal, and other things like that. That's mostly true. I mean, a lot of people don't see the point of using Bitcoin at all. Like a lot of my f friends don't see the point of it. Um, just because their credit cards and, you know, bank accounts work. Um, but as, you know, BitPesa CEO Elizabeth Rosiello was talking about a few months ago, the banking system doesn't work everywhere. And that's like the whole purpose of her company in Africa, just making a better payments option for businesses between different African countries because the legacy banking system there is, uh, you know, so, so bad. And uh, the problems there is with the banking system are so bad, they're even worse than, you know, the so-called problems on the Bitcoin network in terms of network congestion and higher fees. Uh, this is, yeah, this was an interesting quote here from one of the New York Fed guys. He says, if we lived in a dystopian world without trust, Bitcoin might dominate existing payment methods. But in this world where people do tend to trust financial institutions to handle payments and central banks to maintain the value of money, it seems unlikely that Bitcoin could ever be as convenient as existing payment means. Uh, that's kind of a fair point. Um, yeah, if you're in um, the U.S. or something like that, you're usually some kind of like ideological user of Bitcoin, uh, unless you're like using it to buy drugs or something. In terms of holding it, it's kind of like a political statement. You're probably like a libertarian. Um, obviously, a lot of the early Bitcoin users were libertarians, and you just think that you know all of money shouldn't be tracked by some government or centralized entity. And, you know, you're, you're probably like, maybe you're a gold bug before Bitcoin. And you think the monetary policy is preferable to the U.S. dollar. But we, I, you could make a case that that political, um, you know, Bitcoin and decentralization, decentralized technologies might become like a political party, uh, as Peter Thiel talked about earlier in the week. Um, that could be an interesting way for Bitcoin to become more widely adopted in the developed world. And I'm, I want to write something about this soon. Um, it kind of goes into that piece I wrote a while back that I talk about a lot called Bitcoin uh, or a cashless society is probably a great opportunity for Bitcoin just because, you know, as money becomes more digital and governments you know, have more control over the money supply because they might make cash less of an option, you know, that might move more people towards Bitcoin. Um, I'll have to, you know, think about that more and hopefully I can write something up on that soon. I think it's an interesting topic to explore. Uh, let's see what else they have here. Uh, solving the issue of trust comes at the expense of convenience and scalability. Uh, so they're talking, yeah, they're talking about how decentralization basically is costly here. Um, you know, with a centralized system, Federal Reserve or whoever is the counterparty, so you don't need 
this decentralized, uh, you know, mining process and the full nodes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's much easier to scale because you don't have to worry about uh, counterparty risk and censorship resistance, those kind of things. Uh, and it does, and they, and they also point out the extreme volatility in the price. Um, but I think, you know, there's, as I said, you're either like an ideological, ideological user for political reasons or, um, you know, you just have to use it because the legacy financial system isn't giving you the services that you need, like that guy in Thailand, uh, for better or worse. And also, uh, I had another point to make there. Oh, the, the price volatility doesn't really matter if you're like, you know, once you're a Bitcoin hodler, you, it becomes more practical. I've talked about this before where I talked about Bitcoin as like a social network. It, it becomes more practical to use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange because if like two people who are down to hold Bitcoin, because then you're not worried about the price volatility at all because you're, you're down to hold it for the long term. So once you're a hodler, like you can use Bitcoin as a medium exchange with other hodlers. Um, and it's the price volatility doesn't really matter because you're, you're not worried about the short term price swings. Now, if you're using Bitcoin just as a payment mechanism, you know, as a traditional business, like in the real world, if you want to call it that, um, then obviously the price volatility is a huge issue because you'll, you'll want to convert to dollars or something very quickly. Um, although that, that will be, mostly solved with Lightning Network because you'll be able to, you know, move in and out between fiat and Bitcoin in seconds rather than, you know, 10 to 30 minutes because exchanges usually like to wait for confirmations. Um, yeah, and they also talk about how currencies are don't have intrinsic value these days. Uh, one of the guys at the New York Fed said, it's true that the worthless piece of paper is actually worth something to other people that makes it acceptable medium of exchange. As a result, the price of Bitcoin fluctuates with news that vendors or firms accept or decline Bitcoin as a mode of payment. I don't really agree with that. I think it's more about, you know, well, well I guess, yeah, I guess that is true. I, I was just thinking about it differently. It's just about, as I was saying, more hodlers coming on to the, the network, the social network, like creating accounts. So if you're a hodler, you're like creating an account in the social network and then you're interacting with others uh, by using Bitcoin as a medium exchange. So if there's more people hodling, there's more, you know, people to interact with on the social network of Bitcoin. Uh, let's see. I think I wanted to cover something. This last, I'll just read this last paragraph because I think there's something I wanted to cover here. So still Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are trying to improve scalability and convenience. So perhaps in the future, one of these cryptocurrencies could realistically compete with current payment methods. But fundamentally, we wonder whether a payment method designed to function where trust in institutions is completely absent can ever be as convenient as one where trust is required, but also already exists. Yeah, I think, um, I, think I kind of already hit on this. You know, it's the difference between it's a trade-off between trusting a centralized party and having a completely decentralized system. Uh, both systems have their values. Uh, so maybe, you know, we'll see both of them continue to exist. But as, um, 
as the decentralized model becomes more, more popular and more trustworthy, the need for that centralized institution backing uh, a monetary system or a payment method or anything like that uh, kind of declines. Uh, so maybe eventually, you know, the decentralized model will win out, but we'll have to see. Okay, let me see how I'm doing on time. Go through a few more of these stories. And obviously, I think I changed the uh, text in the bottom left. So, but if I forgot, make sure to uh, put your questions in the chat if you have them, and I'll get to them after I go through some more of these stories. Uh, so there's some, uh, they call her the pirate queen of making academic papers free online. Um, I think Greg Maxwell used to do this too, actually, back in the day. I would need to go back and look though, but before he was into Bitcoin, I think he used to do this kind of thing where he, basically people take um, academic papers from scientific journals that you're supposed to pay for and put them online for free. Uh, and this person is doing this out of Russia, I believe. Um, basically, she's taking Bitcoin donations to kind of fund this project that she's working on. But I guess the key point here, it's kind of like the WikiLeaks um, situation from back in the day where, you know, her PayPal, this person's PayPal account was cut off, but now she's able to accept Bitcoin donations. And you see this kind of with other like pirating websites too, whether it's like a torrent website or like a like a sports live streaming website where they give you access to watch like all the games and you pay like a lower fee via Bitcoin. Uh, there's definitely a lot of overlap between like the piracy community and the Bitcoin community just because they, they're like another community where they're not being, uh, you know, their, their needs aren't being met by the traditional financial system. So they turn to Bitcoin. Uh, again, that's like the fundamental value here. Uh, there's a piece by Nathaniel Popper in the New York Times where he talked about uh, a, bu a bunch of top universities. He says from New York University to Berkeley are now offering Bitcoin and blockchain courses. I don't think there's anything really to add there. It's just a another like a, adoption data point. Uh, France and Germany join calls for global Bitcoin clampdown. This is from the Financial Times. Uh, I went through this. I don't think there was like much... Uh, new news here than what we already knew. I think I included a story a while back where France and Germany are working on like a joint uh, proposal to bring to the G20 at the end of March in Argentina in terms of uh, how Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies should be uh, regulated globally. Uh, we still don't really know, you know what that regulation is going to look like. It, it seems like they're just going to try to uh, more strictly regulate the companies and institutions and exchanges built on top of the Bitcoin protocol. Um, but I mean, I, we might have to wait until, you know, the G20 summit to, to figure out what they're really going to do. Maybe this will be the last thing I cover. I've had, uh, I've been doing these like weekly recaps for uh, Bitcoin market journal where I kind of take the biggest news stories from the week and try to explain them. Uh, because they're they're more of like a a traditional investor uh, audience, so I try to uh, put the biggest news stories of the week in in the context 
like what what do they what do they need to get out of it kind of and this week i talked about the growing correlation between bitcoin and the market although i think this kind of reversed over the past few days so maybe this uh topic i wrote about is already outdated and then i also <clears throat> talked about how why it makes sense for these banks to block uh Bitcoin purchases made via credit cards. Uh, so just on the the correlation be between Bitcoin and the traditional stock market, it, it seems there was a few reports from uh, financial analysts at various banks, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, and others this week, where they talked about um, this growing correlation between Bitcoin and the traditional stock market, especially over the past month or so. Uh, and this could be due to traditional investors getting more involved in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. Uh, you would think that Bitcoin would track gold more because that's kind of like, I mean, the, the meme obviously is digital gold. But um, I think more recently we've seen traditional investors get involved and they really look at it as like a risky bet more than like digital gold. They're like, maybe the price will go much higher. And then, you know, so... So over the past month or two, these financial analysts have noticed a correlation between, you know, risk generally on the market and Bitcoin. Uh, so, so they're saying like Bitcoin tracks the risky stocks on the on the market more than anything else right now, and that kind of makes sense as we see like these uh, futures products come online for traditional investors, things like that. Um, and uh, but this is kind of like the final point. Uh, made here. I said, uh, as of now, Bitcoin is more closely associated with the moonshot bets that can be made on the traditional stock market. As the asset further develops its role as digital gold, this correlation with the traditional markets sh should subside. Uh, so I think it'll eventually play more of a digital gold role, but this and this is like a temporary phenomenon, and and it's not really, you know, something that they've said is going to last in their reports, and we've already seen. I think Bitcoin was going up the past few days and the stock market was going down. So maybe it's the correlation is already broken. Uh, but I, I guess we can keep tracking it for the next few months and see what happens. And then on the credit card uh, front, there's been like a lot of banks and credit card companies blocking Bitcoin purchases. And I think I might already talked about, about this on the show, but basically um, it makes sense for them. I know the Bitcoin community is like up in arms about this, but it, it makes sense for everyone kind of if uh, if you're if, if it's hard to buy bitcoin with a credit card just because if your credit card stolen the easiest thing for a, a a hacker whoever stole it to do is take your credit card go online and buy some bitcoin with it um and then the credit card company or bank is obviously left with the bill there because the victim will just do a chargeback uh, and that, this could also apply if like um, someone finds out about Bitcoin and ICOs and stuff and they go online and they use a credit card to invest in an ICO and it turns out to be a scam, then they'll probably complain to their credit card issuer about it and credit card issuers on the hook again. Um, and credit card companies probably also don't want their uh, customers buying Bitcoin on a credit card at all-time highs and then not being able to pay back the uh, money. Um so yeah, just two, I think those were like the two biggest stories this week, maybe. Uh, but sometimes it's kind of hard with these because I have to put them together on like Thursday morning. So there might be other news that comes out after that. But uh, yeah, I like doing these for now and I'll probably keep doing them for uh, Bitcoin Market Journal once a week. I think they'll be published every Friday morning. 
And uh, you can also get them in the Bitcoin Market Journal newsletter that comes out once a week. All right, I'm going to go to questions now because I think I'm getting close to an hour here since I started. Let's see if there's any questions in the chat. Let's see. I can't really see how to pronounce your name, but I I am Embark says real start is the day Bitcoin reached the unbanked poor people in Africa and other nations. I think that's um, probably true. Um, but you have to remember there's also rich people in these countries. Like there's rich people in Venezuela that want to use Bitcoin to, you know, store their assets in a store their wealth in an asset that won't depreciate and also is hard to seize. Uh, that's why maybe the high transaction fees on the network aren't really that much of an issue, even though they, I mean, they've gone down a lot now, but maybe in like, I mean, people in poor people can already use like Zappo. Obviously they have to put trust in Zappo not to steal their money. Um, but they can use Zappo to transact for free. And I think we'll see something like Zappo become much more decentralized where the, the counterparty can't uh, steal your funds at all via something like the Lightning Network. Um, so you'll be able to store money. I mean, if you only have like 10 bucks or something, you might as well store it on the Lightning Network. Um, let's see, Data Courier says, saw a video from Davos called The End of Easy Money, and the gist of it I see is world bankers are not too happy with U.S. monetary policy and are looking to diversify. I think that's kind of been a trend from... I don't know, I didn't see the, the video you're talking about, but it's been a trend since like before Bitcoin. Uh, certain countries, especially China, have been collecting or storing gold for a long time. Uh, maybe they'll try to challenge the U.S. with the yuan eventually. I mean, the yuan was um, eventually added to the currencies that make up the um, special drawing rights, the SDRs, which is kind of like a world currency. And um, probably, I think they've recently stopped buying as many U.S. dollars, although I hear that kind of thing a lot. Um, but yeah, I probably need to start paying more attention to that kind of stuff. I've been kind of like buried down into Bitcoin and uh, nothing else over the past few years. Uh, Capitalist for Life says I have the charisma of a drift, a piece of driftwood. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should try to make this more entertaining. I, I kind of um, just try to get the information out. and uh, But yeah, maybe I'd need to be more of an entertainer. Uh, but that's it's not really my style, so that might be difficult. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying this out for now. And I'll probably, as I've been saying, probably get better at it over time. I'm very new to uh, SoundCloud and YouTube, that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, I think that's probably going to do it for today. I don't see any other questions in the chat. Uh, so make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and SoundCloud. And if you subscribe on YouTube, make sure to uh, hit the bell next to the subscribe button so you get a notification when I go live. And you can get my newsletter and Twitter and all that good stuff at kyletorpy.com and we're in the YouTube description and I will be back on Monday.
Thank you for watching. See you guys next week.